You're now listening to Your Real Money Stories podcast. When I look at it now, it says that my collection is currently worth £11,000. Yeah, it is a lot of money. So um, fortunately, again, I know if I ever am in the need of obviously any money, I know exactly what streets to sell and yeah, where to sell them. Hi guys, I'm Ashley. I'm Eve. And I'm Nick. And we are The Money Medics. And we're your hosts of Your Real Money Stories. An original podcast series brought to you in association with Zopa. The podcast where we'll be giving you the unfiltered truth about money through anonymous confessions and unfiltered opinions. As well as providing useful information and resources for each topic we discuss. And we have to say, this isn't financial advice. These are just our views. today's episode so we're going to be talking about reselling sneakers so i guess when it comes to investments i think what usually comes to mind is stocks bonds gold properties or more recently cryptocurrencies and so you wouldn't necessarily think that selling reselling sneakers can actually be seen as an alternative investment and of course fresh off the press uh itsy itsy is it, am I pronouncing it properly? Etsy is buying Depop to, just to kind of show you how big the resale market is at the moment. And then there's there's murmurs going around that the Year Jordan and Dior, uh, Dior may be collaborating again. And yeah, in another life, I used to be a sneakerhead. So I'm, I'm pretty excited and pumped for this episode. So as usual, there'll be three sections to this podcast. We'll hear a personal story from an anonymous guest. We'll discuss our own opinions uh, and as well give really useful tips uh, towards the end of the podcast. So today we're joined by Carl, um, who's an anonymous guest. Of course, that's not his real name. So yeah, how's your day been so far? Yeah, been a been a good day today. Um, lovely, lovely weather as always. Always appreciate you of that in the UK. Um, so yeah, no, very very blessed day today. So so I guess let's get straight into it. So. How did you develop your initial interest in, I'm going to say my American accent, in sneakers? Um, so so my, my background is um, I actually worked in retail for a very, very long time. Um, I was kind of one of the first out of my friends to get a job in retail. Kind of, you know, everyone gets excited for their first weekend job. Um, and yeah, pretty much worked in retail for about six years, actually. Um, where I was surrounded by trainers on an everyday basis. Um, my friends would ask me what's the latest pair of trainers that had come out in the store. So trainers was pretty much an ev- almost an everyday thing for me. Um, and that's what kind of, yeah, started everything off really from there. So I guess from my perspective, like, why do you think you were buying so many trainers at the time? Is it like, was it just coincidental because you worked at, uh, you worked in retail or was it you just like, you just were always interested in sneakers generally? Yeah, so it was definitely a bit of both. Um, I think my my whole um, mindset of getting that retail job was was firstly to get discounts on trainers. So that was kind of like the first thing already. So I knew I already liked trainers, so that was why I was obviously applying for jobs in that sector. Um, but then I think what also contributed to buying a lot of trainers was uh, for our staff uniform, I, for me personally, I wanted to have like a new pair every single month. Um, so probably, <laughs> I probably um, made it a lot more 
almost like it like it wasn't a big thing to have trainers every single month, which obviously a lot of people would say that is like way, way, way too much. Um, but yeah, having a, a new pair every month was definitely a driver of that and how many pairs I have in my collection. And then um, probably, again, yeah, just being in that environment where surrounded by shoes, I'm going into the stockroom every day, I'm seeing thousands of pairs of shoes. Um, we're doing deliveries, so... Yeah, it really it really felt like like trainers wasn't wasn't a big thing and of course I wasn't I wasn't really spending my money on anything else really at that age. So trainers was yeah, the the kind of easiest thing to to kind of buy really. Wow, I'm just so surprised on what you're saying. So you used to get a new pair of trainers every month. You were living life, right? <laughs> and you know, another thing, I was so distracted by Nick's American accent that I was so <laughs> thrown off because I've never heard such a thing in my life. But I just wanted to double check. Did you say? Did you tell us how? Because yeah, I'm thinking if you're getting a new pair of trainers every single um, month. Did you already mention how many trainers that you had at the time? No, so yeah, so so what would what would actually happen is that every single time I would buy a pair of trainers, my obviously my parents would see that I had quite a few, so they'd actually end up sending a lot to Africa. So it wasn't necessarily that I was getting to keep them all, but in terms of um, how many, I think the maximum pairs I ever had at one time was probably about eighty pairs of shoes. Wow, as crazy as that sounds. Um, a lot of them, I kept them in suitcases. So kind of how we're used to African parents having their clothes and stuff in suitcases. I used to have trainers in wow. that. So, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was the, I think that was the, probably the peak I had um, all at one time. But I'm sure, yeah, going back and forth, I've had other, I'm sure I can even go into the hundreds easily, yeah. Wow. So how much did you spend a month on trainers? So, so obviously the good thing was working in retail, you get 40% discount. So at that time, trainers were obviously a lot more cheaper than they are now, thanks to the inflation, of course. Um, so, um, yeah, I was probably spending maybe maybe about 30 to 50 pounds on trainers per se. I, was, I used to buy a lot of Converse's. So obviously Converse's back in the day used to be about 25, 30 pounds already. So getting that 40% off was taking it down to about 19 pounds, 18 pounds here and there. Um, so yeah, so it's was, it was, it was like, it's it almost like if we put it in today's terms, it's like buying lunch almost for, for those that work in London, you can easily spend 20 pounds a day on food. So it was just a case of, I wasn't buying food really. I was just working my kind of six hour, seven hour days that I was doing. And then each month, um, spending less than, less than 10% of what I was earning a month, um, kind of on trainers really. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So what, what was the switch over? When did you go from, buying trainers just for fun to shelf to mates to now buying trainers as an investment yeah so so the first time that a, a light bulb switched in my mind was um i believe it was 2013 i bought my first pair of jordans uh, which was the jordan 11 breads um and i literally walked out of the store with the having purchased a shoe i believe it was 100 and. £40, I believe, um, if I've been correct. Um, but the what happened was, as soon as I walked out the store, someone came up to me and offered me £200 to buy the shoes for me there and then. The the whole scenario was um, you had to line up outside the store before it opened or at a specific time to purchase the shoe. So everybody ideally was there to buy the shoe, but there was obviously people that were kind of hanging around, see if they had an opportunity to maybe buy it from somebody else that obviously that day didn't get the opportunity to buy. So it was from then I realised, okay, 
why does this guy kind of want to buy it for me? I didn't actually sell it. So I think that at that time, I really did want the trainers for myself. Like I didn't want to kind of get an additional money because I was like, if I sell this for £200, I'm never probably going to see this shoe again if he's purchasing it for that price. And either I'm going to have to sell, I'm going to have to buy it from someone else for even more than £200. So I didn't want to sell it. So um, a week later, my friend actually managed to uh, get another pair. So he bought two pairs of those shoes and then managed to sell it for £250. So he sold one pair and kept another one. The pair that he bought, um, it was pr- it was practically be- uh, paid for. Uh, and then obviously made it, he made an extra about £100 on top of it um, just for buying the shoe, basically. So it was ever since then we realised, wow, like, OK, I can either make money from this, like, just as a, an extra hobby, an extra income stream, um, which obviously we didn't really know is an income stream per se, but it was literally just an extra bit of money so we could either go out, have a have a good time, or, or maybe buy some more trainers, whichever kind of, yeah, in terms of the journey that we go. So, yeah, it was, that was a light bulb moment where someone came up to me, said, I will buy these off you right now for £200. And I was literally like, why does this guy want to buy it for more than what they're selling in the shop? So obviously then realise, okay, it may be, as this is a, a tangible good, if we can say, um, there's actually an opportunity to, to make profit on shoes that you can buy from the retail stores as well. So then when was like your next sale? And then like, how did you turn it into like a structured like business? And I guess kind of build a reputation for yourself? Yeah, so so again, obviously, what we used to do was was try and get our friends to buy as many pairs as possible at that point. So it became it be, almost became a my friends were happy because I'll give them maybe let's say ten twenty pounds to go and stand in a line for me, but obviously I would make an extra sixty seventy pounds on top of that. So it was almost a a self running business from that aspect, where they were happy to get out. Obviously, we we're all friends as well, so it's all like we're doing each other a favor. If anyone ever needed me to go and line up for someone, I would do it as well. So it was always a return of um, of favours there as well. Um, but that's when we started to maybe put a bit of structure to it. We never really had a, a business name to it or anything like that. It was just something that we just we just did as guys. Um, everyone kind of knew that we did it. And if you ever wanted some traders that you'd come to us um, like in the school time or in sixth form. Um, yeah, that was kind of the thing that we were doing. What is like the the most amount that you've made from like one pair reselling one pair of trainers? Oh, reselling one pair of trainers. I think the most I've ever made would probably be Jordan One Shadows actually. Um, and I think the most I'd ever made at that point was about four hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, I think that's probably the most I'd ever made. Cause again, at that point, it was a case of. It was obviously online wasn't really a thing. So everything was kind of always um, cash in hand or meeting up with somebody um, to try and get the shoe. And obviously when someone really, really wants the shoe, you can drive up the price quite a bit. So it depends obviously who the, who the buyer is. Yeah, yeah, you can you can make quite a bit to be fair. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's the most easiest thing, but it's just it just makes sense. Is it something that anyone can get into or do you feel like it takes like a particular skill or knowledge base, or you have to have like the inside, like insight and things. Like, what what do you need in order to be able to get into the sneaker business? Yeah, no, no honestly, it, I think that's obviously one one thing why in lockdown it's been become really difficult to try and get more pairs because obviously it's a super low barrier to entry. So literally anyone can do it. You could you could start with ninety five pounds. An example we gave today, where there's a pair currently released um, for ninety five pounds, and if you sell it today right now. 
you could sell it for 130 so you've already made your 40 pounds uh yeah 35 pounds profit there straight away so um yeah very very straightforward it's just a case of maybe i'll say keeping an ear on the ground as well um obviously there's always things like adverts on tv that you might see for a certain shoe or when you're on instagram you might see adverts for certain shoes or instagram again um you might see companies posting certain shoes as well so a lot of those things is literally things that we see every day, but maybe might not be paying attention to it. But if you decided to maybe just invest a little bit of time and realise, okay, a lot of people actually want this shoe, you can see kind of the comments on that thread as well, or the image. Um, there's obviously more comments on this one versus this shoe as well. So there's really, really, yeah, no technical knowledge to it. It's just a case of just paying attention to it and, and, and applying a bit of effort, really. So you're making this seem too lucrative, as in like too yeah. easy. Like, how can you be telling me that you buy trainers, you wear nice yeah. trainers, you go on holiday, and yeah. all you have to do is keep your ear to the ground? This sounds too easy. So I wouldn't know the the downsides as well because you're making this sound too positive, and I'm sure there must be some downsides as well. So yeah, yeah. Tell me a bit about the down. So, for example, have you ever bought like a fake pair of trainers? So fortunately, Touchwood, I haven't. But that is definitely an area of um, an area that you want to be careful of. Um, obviously, the more uh, expensive a shoe becomes, the more fakes there's going to be as well. Um, and obviously, if you are a novice, uh, don't know how to tell a shoe is fake. Yeah, obviously, there's going to be people that are going to target you in general as well. So, yeah, that was probably that's probably more so on the negative side that you would do want to focus on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Actually, now you just said that. Sorry, how do you tell if it's fake? How? What are the tricks of the trade? Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a, so there's a few things. So obviously, one is easiest way to do it really is if you've got another pair of the shoe, of course, um, just being able to compare them directly. Uh, of course, that's always going to be number one. Um, second thing that I like to do is using something called a black light. A black light basically is um, you know how they can tell counterfeit money as well. Um, usually, if there's a stamp on the on the on the money or if there is a um, that it highlights. Uh, like a certain hologram on the on the uh, money, um, same thing with shoes. Um, basically, when a when a fake manufacturer breaks the shoe, they actually put a stamp on it with infrared light and, um, yeah, a bit technical than I know, but they basically put a stamp on the shoe that you can only see with a black light. So that's one of the easiest ways as well. So you can literally purchase a black light from from Amazon for about five pounds. So it's a very very quick and efficient way to to try and make sure you don't get fakes as well. And then other than the stamp, also some parts of the shoe shouldn't light up as well. Um, so for example, you can get the thread of a thread that's been used to to um, kind of put the shoe together. Some of them shouldn't light up, but then obviously if it's a fake, they're just going to use any material and try and get that shoe looking as much as possible as the real one. So that's a, a a good way to to tell fakes as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so like so I guess my my question for you: Do you have any big sneaker regrets? Oh, big sneaker regrets. Um, I mean, you always uh and end up um buying what the community says called is is called bricks. So basically, a brick is a shoe that you anticipated was going to be selling high, but obviously in the, at the end of the day, it bricked. Uh, so it didn't it didn't go it didn't increase in price or it's even gone down quite considerably as well so probably one of my most recent recent um bricks if you can say is the jordan 6 carmines the the jordan 6 is a very very popular shoe it's one of one of the the great mj stories that he's got uh, one of the original silhouettes that came out back in the 90s as well when he was still playing the game for some reason some reason i don't know why uh this shoe see i bought it for i think it was about 160 
But now, if I was trying to sell it, it'd probably be worth like £120. So, obviously, if you buy multiple pairs, that obviously adds up over time as well, isn't it? So, um, I had I had three pairs and uh, managed to sell one. Um, and then I actually kept one for myself. So, that was a kind of just count that as a loss. And then um, the third pair that I was trying to re resell it again, I've still got it in the collection. The whole um, getting bricks and uh, going through that process is not the obviously most enjoyable. But again, good thing with obviously the stock market as well is that eventually it should go up. Well, I don't want to say it's always going to go up, but there's always going to be a time frame with sneakers, especially that one year it's going to be down and in the next year it's going to be up. So it does fluctuate very, very, uh, it does fluctuate a lot. Um, and it's just a case of hopefully catching the high because with trainers, obviously it becomes a, a point where somebody wants the shoe, but because it hasn't been released in so long, now you can charge X amount more than obviously what it was originally retailing for. So from a, maybe a difference, um, I don't know if I'm fully correct in this, in saying this, but um, if obviously there's a, a stock available, um, you might obviously always be able to buy it regardless of what time time frame it is. But if it's a tangible good, Obviously, it's going to come out in, let's say, 2015. I might not be able to buy that shoe again for another five years unless I buy it from somebody else who already has that shoe as well. So you've kind of got a good hold on the market, if you can say, because if you've got the the majority of the pairs, then you kind of control um, the price as well, of course. Yeah. No, I was going to say roughly in terms of like hours, because it sounds like it sounds quite intense. In terms of like hours, like how many hours would you say like per week do you put in yeah so i mean it for, for me it's, it's again it's a case of because it's my passion I, I don't feel like i put a lot of hours into it it's something that i do naturally every day anyway again i'm always giving my ear to the ground I'm, i've always got my kind of notifications turned on if somebody posts a, a picture or something about a certain shoe so i've always got those things kind of happening in the background if i was to put a number on it i'd probably say maybe like three to five hours a week if even that yeah because literally what you're what you're really doing is maybe there might be releases on like let's say wednesday thursday uh, saturday 8 a.m in the morning um and it's literally what you're going to know if you get the shoe within five minutes so you're really really not spending that much time on in terms of acquiring the shoe you might take some time to upload the pictures onto depop again ebay um and then hopefully yeah just wait for the sale once you're ready to to sell the shoe as well really yeah so I guess like the, the killer question is like, how much do you actually make from reselling sneakers? Oh, oh, now you've asked a good question. I hope that HMRC are not listening. <laughs> no, no, but on a, on a real note, make sure you pay your taxes, guys. <laughs> um, so in the, in the what? So in the last six years um that i've been sneaker selling on and off as well um in terms of the sneaker reselling as well i would probably say anything between 10 to twenty thousand pounds i would say anything between that uh, i would i would say over a six-year period over a six-year period yeah so being uh, very very conservative there in terms of the figure but again coincidentally majority of that has been made in within the last one one or two years last year alone i think i cleared about eight thousand pounds um yeah so a large majority of it is, is actually based on recent times rather than the past because the past was we were just we were just kind of making 20 30 pounds extra on a shoe but now we try to put things in place like making minimum 50 pounds 100 pounds depending on what shoe it is so there's a bit more obviously better structure to it as well um and again because of inflation obviously we can we can we can increase the price as well so yeah i think um my highest year yeah definitely just on just probably just under eight thousand pounds and um 
probably my highest selling shoe was probably just over £1,200 as well, so for one shoe, so... So, I guess you're making all this extra additional income on top of your, like, your main job. So, like, what do you do with the extra money? Um, so, coincidentally, I didn't put it into the stock market. <laughs> so, it kind of rinses and repeats. And so, yeah, I've got, um, I use two methods. So, obviously, I do my traditional stock market and input investing. So, obviously, I make sure to buy some store, uh, some shares, sorry, in, in Nike, of course. Um, as an avid consumer, I definitely need to make sure I own some of those. Whether they go up and down, I'm always kind of investing there as a as a safe haven almost as well. Um, and then I use a bit of uh, robo-advisors as well. Considering how much money you make and also the time and effort that you put into it, overall, what do you think? Do you feel like it's worth it? Do you feel like it's worth the amount of time, like queuing up, etc., etc., having to resell it on these websites? Or do you feel like, oh, actually, when you think about the time that you put together for it, it's actually not that worth it? What do you think overall? Yeah, no, no, definitely overall, definitely worth it to get involved. Um, I mean, it's always good to diversify your portfolio, as we all know. So whether, whether even if it's something that you try, I know, um, like Ashley said, I've, I'm making this sound very, very easy. Um, it's I'm probably just I just probably sound too positive about it because again it is a passion so it's why I love doing it and I'm always going to be involved in it regardless of what how the industry goes um but it's definitely what something you should worth uh definitely something worth trying arbitrage is all is is, is something that has always been around before our time um whether that's buying and selling items on eBay Amazon again but obviously what we're discussing today is specifically about sneakers and how they've kind of changed the game. Um, and obviously they're estimating the industry could get to a trillion dollars. So obviously we're still in the very, very early stages of how the sneaker industry is right now. But again, we, we, we see this every single day. Even things like buying and selling cars is still arbitrage at the end of the day because it's still a tangible good um, to the used market. Um, again, things like Pokemon, believe it or not, right now is a really, really popular thing. It's crazy to me, honestly. Um, but from 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 the sneaker reselling, I think the next thing is really to to probably go into after this is probably going to be things like NFTs as well, which again I don't fully understand it. But the fact that someone wants to buy a video specifically for an amount that that they can watch on YouTube, it's still something that it baffles me. But again, at the end of the day, if it if it makes money, it makes sense. So obviously we're gonna we're gonna always go and jump in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, I mean, when you talk about NFTs as well, it's like, you have no idea what people are willing to buy. Because when I look at trainers, I just think, okay, they're just, you know, cloth on your feet. But people are actually willing to spend so much on trainers. And my trainers, I will have like one pair per year and I'll only replace them when they break. So, <laughs> so, you know, I guess you're right as in if it makes money, it makes sense. And, you know, you're doing something you enjoy. So, oh boy, this is a completely new world to me. But it's, so, it's really exciting to hear that as well. So what about the risks? Are there any particular risks involved? Is it... Like, could you get... Because, you know, when you talked about your friend... Um, so when you left the shop and you had those Jordans on and someone wanted to buy it off of you, I actually thought you were going to say something like, oh, like, they tried to jack you or, or steal it off of your feet or something like that. So are there any risks involved of having so much trainers and, and access to trainers like this? Definitely, definitely. I mean, for me personally, obviously, you don't necessarily want to 
kind of flamboyantly show off your sneaker collection in general because obviously again you don't know even know who's watching your house let alone you walking kind of down the street as well nowadays so definitely um from that aspect obviously when you are going to pick up shoes obviously always go with friends yeah obviously you do want to be careful so like, i was going to say like do many people know that you're a sneaker reseller no no coincidentally not so it's probably only a few people that will probably tie up the connections together unless obviously you're physically kind of in the in a circle or kind of in a group of friends um around each other but when people see me, they just personally think that I'm buying a lot of trainers for myself personally, as that's majority of probably what I do show. Yeah, everything else in terms of like the company wise and um, sneaker reselling, that's kind of all separate. Kind of again, yeah, just running in all different business entities really. You said that back then you had eighty pairs of trainers. Do you have as many trainers now? Um, so I'll, I want to say I've consolidated down to about fifty, but I don't know if that's uh, a big consolidation or not. <laughs> 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 yeah so i've got about about 50 pairs um in the collection now just because of the fact that i have a specific um i've got specific boxes that i put them in and there's 20 there's 25 on each side of my of my room um so that's how i know i've got uh 50 exactly so um yeah i've got a few more boxes here and there like i've got a few pairs in my mum's place um a few in storage but yeah, what I've got here right now is uh, definitely 50 pairs, yeah. <laughs> and would you be able to put, like, a number in terms of, like, how much your collection is worth? Um, yes, coincidentally, I can, because um, um, I I use, obviously, a platform called StockX, which is kind of the Forex market for sneaker selling, if you can say. Um, and when I look at it now, it says that my collection is currently worth £11,000. Yeah, it is a lot of money, so... Um, fortunately, again, I know if I ever am in the need of obviously any money, I know exactly what streets to sell and yeah, where to sell them to try and get the highest highest return on those as well. I have to, I have to ask for because I've been taking some notes, you know. So, are there any future drops that are coming out that we should we should we should, we should keep an an eye on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's always going to be the big one, which is going to be the the your Jordan one, which is coming out again. Um, they've 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 rumored that there's gonna be three three colorways coming out. So obviously, once the rumor starts, that's where that's where it literally people's eyeballs start start moving around frantically looking for information. It's also a higher barrier entry shoe as well. So obviously, the retail price was was around fifteen hundred for the first pair. So that already puts people off on obviously buying the shoe. Um, but then the the difficult part for let's say someone like myself is where I'm not on Dior's kind of seeded customer list, um, obviously it becomes a little bit difficult because obviously I'm not a kind of, a, I don't have a personal shopper with them or anything like that. I don't have a, a relationship built over years. So obviously it's always going to go to their preferred customers first, of course. Um, but once it gets to their preferred customers, the preferred customers are going to sometimes sell it for £2,000, £3,000 because they don't really know the value of it in terms of obviously what sneakerhead see it as. Um, and if it's anything like the last release where it was selling for 15k plus there was a few sales there so obviously now it's coming down a bit i think when i saw it last it was about seven thousand eight thousand but even that still is still contributing contributing your money on top of that so it's a higher risk but it's a higher reward at the end of the day so definitely in terms of one to watch out would definitely be the the Dior jordan one for sure and then i guess like final word to like for anyone listening right now uh, what advice would you give them to get into the reselling or, or sneaker industry or, or your final tips? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so again, I, I know I've made it sound very, very easy. 
Um, but it's all about how much effort that you want to put in at the end of the day. Prepare to invest what you're willing to lose at the end of the day. But the good thing in terms of sneaker reselling is that you're not necessarily losing anything because you buy either one, buy a trainer that you would personally wear anyway. So even if you don't sell it, you know that you can still wear it and maybe keep it in your collection. Or two, you can hold it for a longer time than you initially anticipated and then maybe sell it at a later stage, which hopefully, again, fingers crossed, with the, the times and people wanting the shoe that came out in the past, they would hopefully want that again. Um, and then three, just start small at the end of the day. Yeah, go into your local JD, Foot Locker, uh, Foot Asylum, Shoe, any of these places and see what your friends are discussing. Um, crazy enough, people are discussing that Air Force Ones might be start reselling, which is crazy, crazy to me because these are shoes that back in the day we was originally buying for £70. Now they're, now they're like £80, £90 even. Um, going up in price again thanks to inflation but at the end of the day if, if they become a limited resource then obviously people are going to buy them from other people and uh, why, why not let that person be you at the end of the day wow I'm, I'm going to be honest you know sometimes when someone sends a story and like, they tell it so well or like they tell you about an idea and you're just like oh wow I need to be doing that too. That's literally how I feel. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to be turning on my notifications. I think I'm actually going to download StockX and see what that what that is all about. But um, yeah, so obviously this is the is it the hot seat questions. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you guys some questions. You know, just tell me what you're thinking. So the first question is, okay, um, what do you think of designer goods and trainers as an investment? Uh, I, I guess you know what. Personally, if I'm being honest, before I used to just thought I used to think it was just a waste of time. It's only it's only in the probably like in the last six months. Like I don't mind. I don't want to say sneaker reselling is a get rich scheme. It's not. Like because I don't know. Would you classify um, sneaker reselling? Some people think it's a get rich scheme. No. Oh, get rich scheme. Yeah, get um, rich quick. No, I wouldn't say get rich quick because it seems like it. Puts you. It takes a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to know what you're talking about. You know what you know is going to sell, what isn't going to sell. That's fair. Because I think like when people think about alternative investments, they they kind of usually quite dubious about it. But anyway, my own personal take is that yeah, I think more so I'll be more interested in it. I don't think whether I don't think Eve would allow me because mm-hmm. there's been times when I've said that um, okay, I'm quite. Okay. I'm quite interested in purchasing designer bags, you know, like Drake. You know, like they say Drake has a lot of, um, quite a lot of Birkin bags um, in his, in the, in the embassy, the big house that he lives in. Um, so yeah, I, I have think, thought about it and definitely I would say if I had, if the, the next Air Jordan and Dior drop comes out and I have some cash, I'll definitely buy a pair. Yeah, that's my take. What about you guys? Do you know what? I think I'm definitely of kind of a similar school of thought. I think before I would say, oh, all this designer, designer, it's whatever. But do you know what? I feel like yeah, in the heat of lockdown or maybe like I've been on social media more, I feel like more people are, bu- are like buying designer. So I feel like it's kind of increasing the hype and the desire around it. But I will say like it's not a bad investment. Like I have a, like a little tiny collection and, and I remember I was talking to my boyfriend and we were like working out how much it's worth. And I'd, I'd probably say I've made like a 10% return in like the past year. Like they, they've all gone up in value. So um, it's not uh, it's not terrible, I guess. So so what are you talking about? What what collection do you have? What? A little mini collection. <laughs> of bags. What, of, 
of trainers. No designer bags, Nick. Oh really? Oh yeah, I know. You, I know oh, you got. Yeah, yeah. I know you got designer bags. Really? That's that's fair. But um, yeah, it's it's like gone up in value. So I guess um, it's not it's not it's not bad. I guess it's just um, it depends on whether you're passionate about it. To be honest, yeah. How about you, Eve? What do you think? I think for me. It does actually seem like a great idea. Now Now I've spoken to to Carl and heard his story. And it seems like something that's quite fun as well. But for me personally, I know it's just, I'm just too lazy. Uh, I don't have enough passion. And, and just generally, designers in general, I don't wear that much. I've got a few here and there, but I don't really wear that much. So, or even trainers. I've got one. Yeah, I've just, I don't have enough passion for me to actually be able to buy it and go online and sell it and wait in the queues and stuff like that but I think it's actually a good idea okay so I'm gonna ask another question normally we ask one but we're gonna ask two because this question is very juicy so guys if you had a side hustle you're making good money from would you go full-time on it and if not why Hmm. let me answer this question first that's a really tough one because on one hand I would say oh yes you know I'll quit my job tomorrow I'm joking just in case any of my employees are listening. <laughs> oh yeah, I would I would love to go full time at the same time. I actually like my job and I really love where I work that I would like I would want to try and make it work and I love money. So if I can like make as much money as possible, unless like my side hustle was making me crazy amounts of money, then the answer is no. The answer is no. I would do both and try and maximize both of them. For me, it depends on how I feel that day. So today I've had a long day and, you know, if I was making enough money on the side, I'll quit my job in a heartbeat. But then other days I have really good days. I'm like, no, I'll never quit this job. I absolutely love it. So it really just depends. You know, ask me again tomorrow and you'll get a different answer. So it really just depends on how my day is in general. I think if you had asked me that question prior to lockdown, I think my response would have been, yeah, try and go full-time on a side hustle, then my response now is yeah, probably no. And, you know, after going through a bout of unemployment, I think for me, I think what I'm trying to adopt is something called like a portfolio career or having like symbio- symbiosis in your side hustle and your main career. So they're not as um, separate. So they kind of feed into each other. And I think that's what's helped me... Um, take a different approach to money merits and just the other stuff, you know. I don't want to necessarily create something whereby I need to exchange my time anymore. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think for me, I think what my view is that I would always want to try and work as much as possible full-time because I think it's very intellectually stimulating. But I think, yeah, just to round up as Ashley said, I think the, the main thing from my perspective when you're looking at side hustles, whether it's sneaker reselling, I think I like to kind of take... Um, a four-step approach, you know. Yeah, I do get that people have side hustles or different things to spark joy. But at the same time, I think um, the invention needs to be profitable because you don't want to be uh, looking back and you're doing, you're spending 30 or 40 hours of your time and then you're not necessarily seeing a return on investment in a particular area unless it's generally helping your, your mental health or your, or your well-being. I'd say um, it's always easier to leverage your skills 
whether you work in banking, whether you work in pharmacy, like whether it's project management skills, whether you're an architect, can you get into the biz, um, property development or just just different things? What what skills do you currently have that you can leverage to the maximum? And I think one easy thing sometimes people uh, forget is consultancy you know when you get to a certain point in your career it's so easy to kind of consult and charge people and then going back to my other point yeah i did say that um it needs to be profitable but i think there there does need to be a degree of passion so that when you're working or burning that midnight oil you're working quite late at night working on that side hustle it doesn't feel like work you know you enjoy it so much I think the one thing I, I feel like people forget is scalability, you know? I think I'm all about, okay, yeah, you may be turning over, like, you're turning over X amount of money, but are those operations scalable, you know, alongside um, doing it against your full-time job? So I think those are all the different things you need to consider. Like I said before, you need to always do the numbers, you know? I think we did a post recently on like the benefits you lose when you decide to go, like, go full-time on a side hustle. So definitely weigh up <clears throat> whether the costs and the revenue um, is proportionate to kind of where you want to be. And I think people also shouldn't forget the fact, you know, there are sacrifices that come with turning a particular side hustle or going full-time on a side hustle, whether it's not having a certain quality of life, or maybe having an impact on your mental health because you, you don't really get the time to, you don't really get um, the opportunity to take time off. So there's all, all the different things you need to, to weigh up when, you, when you're starting a side hustle or you want to kind of double down on it. But yeah, we really, really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. Very unconventional way to make money from drip. But yeah, until next time, guys. Um, bye. Bye, guys. Bye. You've just listened to an episode of Your Real Money Stories, an original podcast brought to you in association with Zopa. Who provide great value financial products and tools to make managing your money a lot easier. So make sure you subscribe and share with your friends who you think might have related to this episode. For more information and resources around the themes discussed in this episode, head over to zopa.com forward slash podcast. And of course, if you want to be on the next episode, make sure you slide into our DMs on Instagram at moneymedics.